Judy. He is coming. Isn't that great? We are in Matthew 13 tonight and looking at a parable that's been known as the parable of the weeds and the tares or the weeds and the weeds. And weed and the weeds. And I want to read from Matthew 13, 24 through 30. And this is one of those parables that's great when Jesus tells us what the parable means. So we have an explanation of that by our Lord in 36 through 43 as well. So encouraging you find that Matthew 13, if you will stand in our God's honor as I read from the text, Matthew 13, starting at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then drop down to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you closed this parable by saying, let him who has ears hear. Father, open our ears, open our hearts, Father, to your kingdom, Lord. There are two kingdoms, and Father, the, the hope of life depends upon which kingdom to which we belong. And I pray, Father, that as we look at your truth, these wonderful words of our Lord, that we would see the kingdom of heaven. And, Father, that we would be a, just a part of that kingdom, Lord. And I just pray you do that work in us. In Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. There's a popular series that's been on for uh, several years uh, uh, that is about five kingdoms. And each of these five kingdoms want to take over the world. They want to dominate the world and their ancient kingdoms. And it's a show called Game of Thrones and written by a guy named George R.R. R. Martin. 
And uh, anyway, from what I understand with the show, I don't we don't have cable. I don't really watch the show. It's on a cable channel. But they kill off characters, main characters, just all the time in this quest to become the top kingdom. In this particular section of Scripture, we're told that the world really is boiled down to two main kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom that's of this world that's controlled by the evil one. And Jesus speaks about these kingdoms in this parable. And the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, in this culture, in this world, everything just kind of revolves around us. People, we think we're the center of the universe. And we live as if we are not going to die. But we are. The truth of the matter is, as someone has said, the odds of death are very good. One out of every one person dies. That's 100%, except for two guys. Enoch, who walked with God for 300 years and was no more, and another guy took off in a flaming chariot, a guy named Elijah. Everybody else, from the history we know, didn't leave out of here alive, but went through that portal called death into eternity. And... Thus was proven which kingdom he belonged to. And as we look at this section of scripture, I just want to look at several truths here. Uh, The first one is that Jesus sows the good seed. Jesus sows the good seed. And uh, in the description that's given us, the explanation by Jesus, he tells us in verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. You know, at first I looked at this, and, and of course what came to my mind is I thought the good seed is the word of God that's described in another parable as the seed that was sown is his word. But here as it talks about the field and the very seed that was sown, it said the son of man is the one who sowed the seed, and that seed was the true wheat. And as I thought of that, I thought... I believe really what Jesus is trying to teach us here is that he, as the one who came to die for us, that that the good news is all about, guys, is that we could not reach God by our effort, so God came down here and took upon him our sins. Of course, that's what the gospel is all about. The perfect sacrifice. Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus born of a virgin without sin. He went to the grave and then he came back from the dead. He was raised to new life. This is his work. Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. He's the only one that can sow this seed. And when he does that work, when we receive that work, which is the perfect work, which is the good news, which we call the gospel, which results in salvation. Well, I'm talking fast tonight, aren't I? Just take a breath. That salvation produces the good seed. We are made the good seed by the good sower. There's only one able to do that. And his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has done that perfect work. He is the one who has accomplished that. And the beauty of that is in a verse. um, This would be a great memory verse, by the way, to plug for you guys. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It so beautifully describes... The Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work is the great sower. How he sows new life in the people. That's what he does. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel, man, in that one verse. God made him who had no sin. You see, there's only one that could accomplish what we so desperately need. And that's forgiveness. And that's a right relationship with a living God. Because we've been estranged from the living God because of our sin. Because of our rebellion against God. And it took him who had no sin. And what did he do? The one who had no sin. Look at this again. What a word. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You see, when he was on that cross, all of our sins, all of our unrighteousness was placed on Jesus. All that ugliness was placed upon Christ. He who was without sin became sin for us. That is why Calvary is such an incredible thought. It's, it's beyond being able to get your hands around your mind on such a concept that he became sin for us. And what was the result of him who had no sin becoming sin for us? That we might, in him, become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. He took all of me and gave me all of him. Now that's something to rejoice in and to be excited about. And and that's what the scripture talks about. When he says he sowed the good seed, that's what our Lord Jesus sowed. He created us in his image. The forgiveness as those of us who were corrupted by a sinful nature and we receive the righteousness of Christ because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Great verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But I encourage you, other translations. That's what he did. That's what the sower did. Uh, So that's the the first uh, point here. And Without the sower, there is no light. Matter of fact, if you think about darkness, darkness is simply the absence of light. And there's only one that brings light, and that's Jesus. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have a lot of life. And, and that, comes, that comes through Christ who sowed the good seed. And those of us who trust Jesus are that good seed. Next, he tells us in verse 38 about the field. He tells us that the field is the world. And although there are many nations of many different colors, many different cultures... Some have money, some don't have money. There's these differences. But the truth of the matter is, what is shared in common is that all people have a sin problem. All people have a sin issue. And so often what we see in this culture is it seems upside down. The people who are labeled to be the heroes and celebrities and the people we should look up to and follow are oftentimes the opposite of what God would list as those who follow him and, and who are righteous. and um, Things are upside down so often in the world. 
But in this world, which is the great field, there's two kingdoms. There's two choices. There's two places that our lives become subservient to. Two kingdoms. God's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. The first kingdom comes only in Jesus. John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's his kingdom. And it's interesting, um, when the good seed is planted, and Jesus comes in my heart, I become his child. I enter into that kingdom that's eternal, that lasts forever. And peace with God is accomplished the peace of God is accomplished. Peace with God is accomplished in him. James one twenty one, interesting verse, it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. You see that word of God, that truth of God, this truth of the gospel. A person hears it, and it can either be planted in my heart, or it can be rejected. And not take root. And the key here is in those two kingdoms. God's seed comes when the word of God, the truth of God in Jesus. There are two words in the Greek that describe word. There's logos, which is the written word. Which, of course, are the scriptures that God has so beautifully given to us to reveal to us about him. And then there's the rhema, which is the living word. Which reminds us of John Chapter 1, verse 1. I love how John starts out. In the beginning was the rhema. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That living word is Jesus. So, So that's that first kingdom of God. The remainder of this message, I want to look at the second kingdom. The kingdom represented by the weeds, by the weeds or the tares, according to the translation that you have. And I want to look at several truths about these weeds. First, the weeds look like the wheat. And as we look in this parable, the first part here, Jesus, uh, as he shares this, the servants say, hey, there are weeds that have been found in this field. Where did the weeds come from? And Jesus said they were sowed by an enemy. And they said, you want us to pull them up? How were they able to detect that? Well, when these weeds grow alongside the wheat uh, in Israel, it's a wheat called Darnell, and they look just alike. When they're young, you can't tell the difference between the wheat and the weed. Only as they mature, then they come to a point where the wheat has heads that are shaped in a way and begin to fall over. Whereas the weed, the darnel, is straight up. And then you can tell the difference when there is a maturity once they get to a certain size. Till then they look alike. These weeds, this darnell, he said it was sowed by an enemy. And Jesus tells us later in verse 39 that the enemy who sows them is the devil. I've been really disturbed. Oh, I guess in the last year, 
There's some believers, different ones I know. Don't believe in the devil. These are in our churches and um, just don't believe in the devil. And, and I, I've heard stuff like, well, Jesus doesn't talk about the devil. Well, this parable we're going to see where Jesus talks about the devil. Uh, he's not some little guy with pointy ears and a pitchfork wearing a red jumpsuit uh, that you laugh at. Matter of fact, that idea came in the medieval ages um, where they tried to make fun of the devil and they were trying to figure out the most ridiculous thing that they could say about the devil to ridicule him. Guys, he's powerful. He is a he is an enemy. Matter of fact, several descriptions of him. He is called an adversary. And he is he can't hurt God. So what does he do? He tries to hurt you. Because God loves people. And so his job, if he can't take out God, he wants to take us out. The people that God loves. So he's the adversary. Another name for him is the accuser. You know, there's that verse in Revelation that says, he stands before the throne accusing day and night. Oh, man. He just brings our sins constantly before the throne. I'm so grateful we have an advocate for that. That Jesus takes care of that. The prince of this world. If you look at this world system... That which doesn't square up with the scriptures and what we learn about God in the Bible, that's represented by this world system. And it says that he is the prince of this world. He is the one who calls the shots in this kingdom, this world. And the other description in 2 Corinthians 11, he's called an angel of light. He's not some goofy little guy in a red jumpsuit. No, he's spectacular. And he's smooth, charming. Um, he's the ultimate con guy. He, he's no one to fool around with. Matter of fact, I love as it says in James 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But before we can resist the devil, we've got to submit to God. Why? Because we in our own strength are not able to defeat the devil. We need to submit to God. That he may empower us to take that stand against the devil. He is the one who comes in and he's the one who plants the weeds in the field. He's the one of those who say, I've got together. There is no hell. There is no devil. Um, you know, and all that, that. That comes from the enemy. That doesn't come from the truth of God. It says the one who sows these weeds. Is the devil. It tells us our identity, the identity of that one. Third, the weeds will one day be pulled up and burned. It says there in the end of the age, burned in the fire, they'll be pulled up. Uh, sometimes it seems to me as I hear people talk about religion, they want to lump everybody together. Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, Mormons, that we're all just a bunch of superstitious hocus-pocus. Um, but they don't really stop and say, what does each one believe? Where is the truth for each one? And what we believe in the scriptures is that there is a good seed by the perfect sower 
by the one who was without sin, that he who had no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that is the truth that we believe. And Jesus said those people that miss that, those people who fight that truth, those people who do not receive that good seed and become changed by the power of the gospel and his perfect work in Jesus Christ, I know people don't want to hear it, but there's a separation. It's coming. That's what Jesus talks about. Uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 1.18 down through verse 25. It really describes the thinking of the present day for the message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God's wisdom. The gospel. And by missing the gospel is to miss eternity with God. Hard words. People say, well, how, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? I listened to... a. Frank Turek the other day. I told you he's an apologist. And Cindy had listened to some of Frank Turek's videos. And she said, hey, you got to hear this one where uh, he was, I think he must have been talking to some college students. And they were asking him different questions. And he had a great video clip where this was asked. A young guy said to Frank Turek, why would a loving God send somebody to hell? And Turek said, let me give you an illustration. He said, uh, just imagine that this guy sees this woman, and she is, and all that, you know. I mean, he is just overwhelmed. It's all he can think about is, i got to get to this woman. I've got to win her heart. And I mean, he goes all out. He sends her candy. He sends her flowers. He loses 55 pounds and tries to get the washboard abs. He sends her these love notes and they're long and just dripping with romantic sweet stuff. And I mean, he does all that he can to win her heart. But she's just not interested. I mean, he tries it all. And finally, after the 15th time, he says, please, please go out with me. Please, I love you. And she says, I'm just not interested. Should he just keep on doing that for the rest of his life? With her constantly saying, no, I don't love you. I don't want to be with you. Leave me alone. No, we call that a stalker. We, we don't call that love. We have a God who loves us. And guys, he's like, uh, as one poet said, the hound of heaven. He comes after us with a holy passion. Because he loves us. 
but he loves us too much to force and coerce us into a relationship that's not real, that's not reciprocated. Um, You see, it has to be reciprocated. Real love only comes when both people love each other. In other words, God loves us too much to force us to love him. And so real love demands at one point to be able to say, you know, I love you enough to let you go. Remember the saying, if you love something, let it go. If it's yours, it'll come back to you. If it doesn't, it never was. That's the heart of God. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God does all that he can to reach out. He woos us. He calls us to himself. But in the end, he does not force us to follow him. He just gives us every opportunity to do so. And if we choose to reject him, he'll let us do that too. Even though it breaks his heart. Um, one last one here. It's not the weed's job to remove and burn the weeds. <laughs> Starting in verse 28. Uh, it says the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Man, I confess, there are times I want a big bottle of spiritual weed feed. And I want to start spraying. I want to grow the good stuff and kill the bad stuff. And I want to do that role. I want to be Mr. Fix-It. But you know the problem with that is... We don't see the whole picture. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, now we see but a poor reflection. That's all we can see. And the King James says, you look through a glass darkly. But one day we'll see face to face. One day we'll see clearly, but not now. And so when we start trying to play God, when we start trying to be Mr. Fix-It and spray the spiritual weed feed, we cause all kinds of problems. Jesus said the wheat and the weeds are so intertwined. It's, it's not our job to start yanking up the weeds. Because it affects the whole field. And so that is just not our job to start doing that. Someone has said that there are three great mysteries that we'll discover when we get to heaven. First mystery is there will be some people there. We thought, there's no way. There's no way they're going to be there. And they're going to be there. And the second great mystery when we get up there is there's not going to be people in heaven that, well, if there's anybody in heaven, it's going to be old Rob. He's not up here. And the third and most greatest miracle is by the grace of God, I hope to be there. It, 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 it's, it's not my job to start pulling weeds. And I get upset. Like I told you, this idea of people that want to write hell out of the scriptures and Look, I don't want to get on these. Our heartbeat needs to be the gospel. Our heartbeat needs to be the scriptures. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not saying we don't stand for the truth. But more than anything, I want our thrust to be the gospel. To tell people of the saving work of Jesus Christ. And, and it's so easy for us to fight this battle and to fight that battle. If we're not careful, we're fighting so many battles, we're not fighting the God with the gospel. 
We're not taking the gospel to the people. We're worried about the people are in this sin and they're in that sin and, and they're missing this truth. No, we just keep preaching the truth. But the center of that truth is always Jesus Christ. That's the mission. I love 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What a great way to live. He starts out, he says, for we do not preach ourselves. Wow, that's unusual. Sometimes it seems like everybody's got an angle. I remember years ago, uh, we had some um, land when my dad died that was passed on. We thought about, oh, we'll cut the timber off of it. And started trying to look around to find somebody. This guy came up to me and, oh, you know, he started snuggling and close, telling me about what a great deal he'd give me. And uh, I'd had some stuff happen. I was just real honest with him. I told him, I said, look, at this time, I'm not even sure I would trust my own mother. I said, till I investigate this, I'm not doing anything. Well, it turned out, of course, he was trying to take advantage of me. And I found out later, oh, man, you know, that kind of stuff, it happens. It happens to us. We preach ourselves. That's naturally what happens. We want to try to get the bargain out of it. We want to come out ahead. But he says, we do not preach ourselves. Who do we preach? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the boss of my life. As the master. As, as the one who can call the shots. Who at any moment, who can change my decisions and the direction of my life. And what I intend to do. And I love this last part, ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What's the true sign that we preach Jesus to serve? Have a heart that serves. Um, that's the job. Uh, so let's let God and his angels do the weeding. And we'll seek to spread the one who has the good seed, Jesus. Uh, that be our job. It's said that Fritz Kreisler, who was a world-famous violinist, um, he traveled the world doing concerts and was well-received. But He gave away a lot. He loved to give away money, so he really didn't have a lot of money when he retired. In his travels, he found this one violin he wanted to buy, but he didn't have enough money. So he went to come up with the money and Finally, able, after he was able to get enough money to go and to buy that prized violin, he went to the place to buy it. The guy had sold it. He's like, oh, man. So anyway, he figured out where the violin was. And so he went to the new owner of the violin, and he tried to convince him, let him buy the violin. And the guy said, no, this is a, one of my prized possessions as a collector. I can't let go of this violin. He started to walk away, and he had an idea. He said, can I just play that violin just one last time? And the guy said, yeah, sure. He played the violin so beautifully that the owner of the violin just started crying. And he said, wait, 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 wait. He said, I'll sell you the violin because this is too precious I shouldn't have a violin where no one can ever again hear that music. We have the music of the gospel. It's a precious, precious music 
And, and yet people need to hear that music. They need to be moved by the power of that song of Christ. It's, it's not something merely to be held on to. It, it, it's something that needs to be shared that others may hear what moves the heart, which is Jesus. Uh, A.B. Simpson describes this gospel well as I close. Listen to his description. The gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fallen undone. Gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, we're to be a people of the gospel, the good news that he who had no sin, he who had no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, that is the message that's life-changing. And it's a beautiful song. It's gorgeous music that needs to be shared. Father, just speak to my heart about that awesome truth. Father, Jesus has planted his word in my heart. That means that there is a song to be sung. There is music to be played. And that's through my life as your servant. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Father, do that in us, Lord, for you. There are two kingdoms, and it's clear which kingdom, Father, we need. The other kingdom is without hope. The other kingdom goes into a fiery furnace as a destination. The other kingdom, there's not love. There's not forgiveness. There's just pain and bitterness. But you've provided a kingdom, Father, where there's love, where there's hope, where there's a reception. That's where we want to be. And I pray that that's our hearts, Father, to share about that kingdom kingdom that leads to heaven father as we prepare to sing i hope i pray that you have spoken and that we would simply take to heart uh, your words that have been uttered by jesus father and um that we would just carry that to others lord that message because it's our hope so father just speak as we stand as we sing may we follow you in christ's name we pray Amen.